0: Well, I've got an announcement to make, and I feel sad about it. And I, I'm going to try to say this without making Paul cry. Um, and
1: <laughs> that is Welcome
0: to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc.
2: <laughs>
0: I'm joined with, by Martin, Tanya, and Paul. Martin.
2: And, and the hysteria back has back again.
0: I am. Tanya, back from England. Me and Paul never left. But we have a very special episode for you. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about classical education and how it relates to the church, and we have an announcement. But before we get there, we have to honor our time-honored tradition.
1: And I've got to ask you, Martin,
0: what have you been reading recently?
1: <laughs> I finally finished The Three Musketeers.
0: Wow. All right. Oh,
2: yeah. well, Okay, so what's your final thought?
1: My final thought is... That I would have to read it again in order to really assess it properly. It's a double. And I'm not going to do that. Right. It's a double <laughs> reader. Look at that. Yes,
2: <laughs> he liked it so well. He's going to read I, no, it again. No,
1: I, I said I liked it so well. I thought that I should read again, but I'm not going to. That that should yes. tell you something else.
2: Yes, that does tell me <laughs> right. something else. Um, okay, so but, not a big fan.
1: But I am. I am, and I haven't started on it yet. But it is up. It's ready to roll. Is. <clears throat> The Red and the Black by Stendhal, which is one of those books. There's, these, there's this whole body of books <clears throat> that are on the great books lists, and you have no clue what they're about. Right. I've mm. never heard of that book. And I have, and I have found, because you know, you, you're, you're judging, okay, so really should I read this book? Because I really don't know anything about it. I, but history has judged this book to be Valuable mm-hmm. and usually history is right. I'm not sure what to say about history with the
3: Three Musketeers, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Um, <laughs> what? What book list uh, did you find this on? Because when I Google like 100 great books, mm-hmm. there's a slew on there that are not that should not be on there. On there, like what? Like Catcher on the Rye? Oh no, no, I like don't, that.
1: I don't. Those are modernist books. I'm taught These are uh, uh, Red and the Black would not be that that contemporary enough to be caught in that. Yeah. When when
3: when was it written? I have never heard of this. Oh, but, oh I, okay. I
1: I don't even know. So but we, I know it's an older. But
3: well, we'll look for have an you started
1: update. i have not started. Oh, it Oh, okay. I'm just I just because I just finished Gosh. Three Musketeers, so I I needed. Something. We
2: know how much that took out of you.
1: Yeah, it did. <laughs> Tony, what have you been reading
2: recently? Well, I'm crazy. Yes. We we all know know, this. (laughs) I'm glad that this is established. Even Right. So now I'm going to prove it. (laughs) So I um, started Crime and, not Crime and Punishment. War and Peace. War and Peace, because our Memorial Mm. Press book group is reading War and Peace. And so we're going to have meetings on each volume. So since I was going to England, why? I felt like I needed to go ahead and start it because I was going to. There was no way I was carrying around that giant thing.
1: So you've never read it, read it
2: before? I'd never read it before, and so I finished volume one before I left. So I put it down, and then so then my question is, what do I take with me to England for my three week trek around the country? And so I decided because I had David Copperfield. That I wanted to reread mm. before I read Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead, I think is the name of it. Yes. I think and so I thought, well, I'll just take David Copperfield because it's so big that I will only need one book in that three week period. Hold on, hold on. It's 900 pages. Yeah,
3: it can't be much different than than War and and Peace. Peace.
2: But it is, War and Peace is so big, and my David Copperfield's little, but it is 900 pages. (laughs) So I'm reading a, what, how many pages is War and Peace? 1,400 1400 page book and a 900 page book at the same time, which is just nuts. But I'm thoroughly enjoying David Copperfield, and I really liked the first part Mm. of Volume 1 of War and Peace, but all the war stuff I mean, that to me is well, just, it I don't switches want to back and
1: forth it. between the right. war and- Yes, thank and,
2: goodness, because, yeah. but the whole second part of volume one was the war, and I just don't care. I don't care about no, just, how they the She doesn't care about war, but she's battles. reading war and peace. Right. I want the peace part, yeah. not the well, war part.
1: Well, the, the, the peace part, even if you don't like the war part, will mm-hmm. make it worth your while.
2: Yeah. I, bu- I totally believe it. You know, there's a reason it's still in print. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still so <laughs> getting so new
3: translations coming out. Yes, right? and new
2: translations. Yes. And we are reading the Pavir translation, which I think reads everything I've read it, it that reads he translated, well. is just be- and I have beautiful. And I've never
1: read Pavir. And I know
0: he's His kind of translations, like, he a and his team wife,
2: team. I don't want to leave her out. Um, they do, do it together.
0: Help the experience that you were reading David Copperfield as you were trekking mm-hmm. the, through the streets England. of England? Yes, of course. Sounds but, nice. you
2: know, I've read so much Dickens, but I didn't remember. I, I hadn't read David Copperfield since college, and I re- I forgot that Uriah Heep is, is in that book. Mm-hmm. So I just keep thinking of the metal band and thinking, why did they choose Uriah Heep for their name?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I remember that band yes. growing up in I LA. never really mm-hmm. listened
2: to their music because it was really heavy.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't think we get a
0: Uriah citation on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. but here, we have, here we have it. Yes, it's um, so
2: a I'm, very negative character.
0: Yeah, I've read two, i read two books recently. So, Death of Ivan Ilyich, short, mm-hmm. short novella. Yes, I read Never that read read in college
2: before.
0: too, and it was good. Kind of dark. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Now, that, spoiler that's alert: he Tolstoy, dies. Right? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it was good. And then I read The Secret Place of Thunder, which mm-hmm. was a nonfiction meditation on secular or Charles Taylor has this expression in the secular age about, he describes our age as expressive individualism. And so this guy, John Stark was kind of meditating on the way that Jesus is teaching about fasting, praying and giving to the poor in in secret is a little bit of an antidote to expressive individualism for people who are mm. practicing Christianity. So it was a helpful meditation.
3: Mm. I thought it was good. Mm. What would you read? Um, I, uh, my wife and I stopped by the bookstore at the Berry Center oh yeah and I'd never been there before it's in Newcastle, Kentucky and I was blown away by their selection I mean mm. I shouldn't have been I mean I just loved they lo- all the books by well, Berry well curated no, and I mean, a
2: lot more and a lot oh, okay. more and okay. what they
3: have that's not by Berry is very well curated I mean you just go to like the history section it's like all the books that I would want to like I just would want to buy every book in the bookstore
2: you know why it's curated by an HLS grad who Virginia Oh did she Did Virginia no. wait on you?
3: Oh. Uh no, it, it no because Wendell's granddaughter. No, it would have been it was somebody else because it was a like a younger, like college age person mm. that was studying like I, I, biology while she taught in Virginia.
2: You did teach Virginia. Uh, That's why it's well curated. It's yes. because Martin taught the curator. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Just so you know. So <laughs> anyway, I found this book called Oh Kentucky. And Who wrote it? Barbara somebody. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, it, it was published in the nineties, but it's, it, it's intended to be sort of an epic story of the settlers that came through the Cumberland Gap, um, following Boone. And so I, I'm just at the beginning of it, but it is warming my Kentucky heart. <laughs> and, um, and I lo- I mean, I love that time period. Time period is wonderful. Um, have in you Kentucky, read Janice Holt Giles? <clears throat> Kentucky, uh, produced some
1: great writers that nobody mm. knows about anymore.
2: Janice Holt Giles.
1: Janice Holt Giles. I've never heard of a Janice Holt Giles. You really need to read Janice
2: Holt Giles. One of the great Holt-Giles. historical fiction writers, mm-hmm.
1: actually. Um, and then uh, James Lane Allen, uh, who wrote A Kentucky Cardinal, which is one of the most beautifully written books I've, I've ever read. Uh, James Fox Jr., or John, I'm sorry, John Fox Jr., who wrote The Trail of the Lonesome Pine mm. and, uh, and, and a number of others. Um, there was a movement in the early 20th century called the the local color movement, and books about localities, you mm-hmm. know, uh, became very popular. And so they were on the top rank among the top rank of those uh, local the local color movement.
0: And there's some
2: really rank. obscure things. I, yeah. I yeah, There's mm. some
0: nooks and crannies in there that are yet <laughs> well, to be explored. Somebody's got to read them.
2: For for Martin growing up in
3: California, right? Like your your embrace of mm. all things Kentucky oh. is is. Uh, Yeah, there was a real culture here there. There's culture
1: there, but it was the beach culture, uh, which is a little bit different.
0: Hey, everybody. Shane here. Just saying thank you for the way you've supported our show and continue to do so through your likes, shares and comments below. Viewer support makes this show work. And we're incredibly glad to have you along on this classical journey. Thank you for being here. And let's get back to the episode. Well, we've got an announcement to make. And I feel sad about it. And I, I'm going to try to say this without making Paul cry. Um, and <laughs> That is, I am leaving Memorial Press. And I've taken a pastor job in my home state of Wisconsin, in Door County. If anyone's ever been to Door County, it's the most beautiful place on earth.
2: What's the city?
0: It's called Sturgeon Bay.
2: Okay. Oh, I'll be ooh, a
0: sounds cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing It's a very, very beautiful, city.
3: beautiful place. Yeah. I have been to Door County. No. Yeah. But I would not agree that it's the most beautiful place on earth i'll be a pastor at the sturgeon bay community church but
0: sadly that means i'm leaving more preston island school for anyone who knows me you know that i came to louisville to go to seminary and then me and my wife found a home here that kind of (coughs) we just stayed and but the goal was always to go be a pastor and which you were
2: very transparent about when we hired you and then when we promoted you to run the school's division, you still said, you know, my calling is to be a pastor. And I said, if you just give me two years. (laughs) <laughs> then every two years you said, if you just give, I mean, me, just give just me, two years. me two more This reminds me
1: of the movie, support your local sheriff with James Garner, where he keeps saying, no, I, I just need you to understand because I want to be sheriff. I, I am on my way to Australia now. Okay. <laughs> right. And yes. he ends up staying.
2: Yes. Yeah. Which is exactly what I was hoping was going to happen yes. was that Shane would fall so in love with us and mm. with his job here. And, I consider what we're doing a ministry, that it would maybe <laughs> fill that ministry call yeah. in so his our, heart. So our, our,
3: our listeners need to know that, that we're still trying to commit Shane to stay, <laughs> even though he's made his decision. <laughs> and Tanya, I have to apologize that I set you up for this disappointment because you asked me for two years and I'm here 12 years later. And, <laughs> and, and Shane, you asked That's for two right. years and he's and And off so he goes. Out. So basically we know now that his time is up.
2: I think yeah. what we know now is that he really just doesn't care about me wow. as much as Paul does. Oh, <laughs> oh that's that touching.
1: Is, I, I like that. Could be true. I mean, perfect.
2: that's why I'm
1: here. Is <laughs> Tanya? <laughs> yeah. So
0: I think the question, obviously, that a listener would have is, "What does this mean about the, for the podcast?" And I would just say that we, I think, have all just been well aware that the reason I think people like this is because these conversations are needed in our in our world. You know, people talking about books. And it's not really necessarily us. I think we're all pretty convinced of that as much as just the the beauty of conversation about books and classical education. And so those conversations are going to keep happening mm-hmm. and they'll probably be better through different voices, different ideas um, going forward. So it's not going to stop. I will be a listener and not a participant until uh, you guys call me in.
2: That's so sad. Now
3: maybe we could work on that technology. Get Shane dialed in every once <laughs> in a while.
2: Yes, <laughs> maybe so. Hmm. So, um, I am very sorry that you're leaving. Mm -hmm. Um, As we've discussed, um, I'm thrilled that you gave us the amount of time that you did give us. So, you know, to get other people in place to do the many, many things that you do. Um, But it is very sad for us to lose a member of our community. But I also know that what you're doing is truly your voc- vocation and I think you're going to do an amazing job um, and I will be cheering you on from Kentucky um, and when you start a school I will be there to teacher train for you That's even great. though your wife can teacher train circles around me um, I do remember when you took over the school's division your, I have very fond memories of your very first school trip which you took by yourself
3: Oh, yes, me as well. (laughs) Yes, and you got
2: back, and it turned out that you had stayed in some hotel, and my first uh, statement to you was... I would never stay in a hotel like that. (laughs) And I'm not sure why you did. I was trying to save the company money. Right, which was great. But I said, you know, we've got standards here and you can actually (laughs) stay in a hotel with running water. And then um, there was nobody there to check you out the Mm -hmm. next morning because she was in the back having a fight with somebody on Mm -hmm. the phone for like 45 minutes. Correct. And you didn't know that you could just leave. Yeah. And, I thought they would
0: arrest me. Like, right. I mean, how do you don't you have to check out for your room? Right,
2: but <laughs> it's yeah, all done. It's all done by email now. <laughs> so you, so you missed your your flight because you were yeah. so responsible. Thank you. And then you were but you in, were in the. You can tell were, at this
1: point he's good pastor material.
0: Yes, you,
2: know. you were in the airport till at nine thirty at night.
0: Nine a.m. was the departure that I missed. And I left at 9 p.m. At
2: 9, yes. And then got oh, to his um, destination and the rental car place had closed.
0: Didn't know that happened. I thought they were open <laughs>
2: 24-7. So, I mean, he learned so much in one trip. Mm. Just in one trip. I'm yeah.
3: surprised he went back for a second trip.
2: Yeah. So then you Ubered? How I did Ubered you to, to your hotel. hotel? And then had to go back to the well, airport.
0: I to that hotel, same chain, which I don't remember the name of anymore. Um and they gave me the key to a room that was already occupied.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, right. that's right. happened. Yeah, yes, I get a happened. rental call yeah.
0: the next morning and I Ubered to the rental place and they dropped me off, but it was before it opened because I had to drive to Las Cruces <laughs> that morning, 45 minutes away, so I had to get there early. I am standing in the parking lot by myself in El Paso and the wind is just like whipping past me. It's such a windy city <laughs> and I'm standing there and outside of the closed enterprise when they call me and say, "Hello, Mr. Jackson, we saw that you made a reservation. We just want to let you know we don't have any cars for you.
2: Oh, <gasps> I don't. I forgot that part yeah. of it. <laughs> um, so the, I'm,
0: like, I'm like that. I am standing in your parking lot. Like I need a car, and they actually think they move things around. They got me a car, so that it ended well. Uh, but I was and like, it was a
2: very good school visit. It was an amazing
1: that you, school. That's visit. right. Yeah. But well, he, compared to that, anything would look. Yeah. That's <laughs>
2: right. That's right. All of his trips from here on out, he has. Yeah. He is still very responsible about saving the company money, mm-hmm. but but reasonable. Stay, yeah. Yes, but I did bring you a present. A going away present that I didn't wrap because I've been in England and just have no time.
0: Oh. So socks with sport balls on them.
2: Yes, that's right. So that you'll you'll remember me. Yes, a huge Every time fan. you wear them. Well, just, you know, all of your sports analogies yeah. on here. I'm really not going to miss.
0: Thank you. I really enjoyed working
1: with you. <laughs> You know, i thought of bringing you, like, undershirts or something.
0: (laughs) You know, the other story from the road that I feel like I have to tell because Martin's forgotten it is when Martin and I traveled to Miami together, one morning, the morning that we left, we go down to the lobby, and this is just me and Martin, our brains, just we're operating at peak capacity that morning. This is (laughs) is you all leaving (laughs) Miami trying to come home. Yes. So, we're standing in the lobby, and for maybe know 20 30 minutes we're standing there on opposite side of the room didn't know each other were there and eventually Waiting. yeah eventually we realized that we're there together <laughs> so then we link up and all of a sudden it dawns on martin that he forgot something in the room so he goes upstairs he comes back he's got it and then i go shoot i forgot my things in the room too so then <laughs> i go up in the room and i come back so we get to the airport and we get we had a rental so we drop off the rental and we get halfway down the tarmac to the airport, and it was uh, Miami. It's a huge airport, and all of a sudden, Martin goes, I forgot my jacket. So we go back, and we we (laughs) trek all the way back, about two-thirds of the way, and then Martin realizes, Jacket's in my back. <laughs> we get home to Louisville and I realize I have actually left my jacket in the
1: rental car.
2: Not for it's the first time. Yeah. Not for the first time. Because you left your jacket when you and I traveled. Like a, the jacket for a suit. Yeah, your black right. suit. Just totally left it somewhere. Yeah. And so every time you travel, your wardrobe shrinks. <laughs>
1: It is true.
2: (laughs) Yes, well, I'm sure you feel the same way. But I can say I got to England, and we had, I mean, it was a whirlwind. It was two and a half weeks, which doesn't sound like a whirlwind, but it was literally a different hotel almost every night, or at least two nights, two nights, one night. One time we stayed in a hotel three nights. Every other time was one night or two nights. I had dresses because they were all events. And so I would... do my suitcase, hang all my dresses up, and the next morning have to take them all down and put them back in the suitcase so they wouldn't get wrinkled. So this happened over and over and over. I came home with every single thing I took with me. And I was in, I don't know, 10 or 12 hotels. I'm just saying it can be done.
0: Yeah, you're a testament to us. Thank you. So inspired. But
2: now you will no longer need to travel.
0: That's right, thankfully.
2: But moving forward to
0: our topic, I'm going to be go be a pastor. Mm. But I don't see this as a deviation in the mission I've had the last few years. I just see this as kind of narrowing to more specifically what I think is within what I've been called to do and maybe within my skill set and that is I do think there's always been a very important part of what we do for achieving the mission of the church in classical Christian education because if we are training students in the liberal arts towards virtue and wisdom then we are participating in the work of the church that makes our students useful to the kingdom to glorify God. How do you guys see classical education helping contribute to the mission
1: of the church? Well, I would say that the Western civilization that we're all um, heirs to has been fundamentally formed by Christianity. It's Mm -hmm. not just the the West, it's the Christian West, and I use that term all the time. Tolkien liked to use that term. Um, that the so the, the values and the ideals that 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 are characteristic of the Christian West, those are the things that get passed on in our literature, in our history, which classical education really emphasizes. This is the way. that we pass on a civilization and it is the civilization, of the Christian West. So this is hugely important. And I think this is probably the one thing that most approaches to education do not emphasize enough. And classical does.
2: It does. It was renewed by the monks. You know, they Mm -hmm. are hugely responsible (laughs) for what we have today you know that we have it but also i think classical education teaches students how to think i mean look at paul's introduction to philosophy metaphysics class um at those students and what which he can speak to more than me but but really what you're teaching them and and how they're being forced to really stretch their brains and i always think that the you know, we say truth, goodness, and beauty all the time. To me, that that word truth is a capital T. It mm. truly is. Whether you're, whether it's a classical Christian education that you are giving your children or just a classical education, I do think the truth is there and that it does point to the divine.
3: Yeah, I mean, the it, it's interesting that you bring up my class because, I mean—
2: well, I feel like that's the culmination it, of all these years of training that we've done for them.
3: It, it I mean, it, in a lot of ways, it is. And in, in what's been interesting to me as I've been teaching it the past couple of months, again, is that you know, in starting with the ancient Greeks, right? What what the students are are having to wrestle with are the ideas that preceded the incarnation by a few hundred years, and so they're they're sort of fully understanding the the problems of human reason, human existence, um before the incarnation. And then and kind of halfway through the year, we get to Boethius and we we get to see how how Christians took those ideas and said this is fully in harmony with the order of the world that we see and the revelation that's been given to us. And so it's not just you have over here um, the natural world and over here you have faith, but those two things are intimately connected um, and, and it gives them sort of a way to understand that Mm. uh, and forces them to think through it. And it's, it's always rewarding to me to teach that class and see the students really struggle through that and come through on the other side. Right now we're in struggle mode (laughs) and, you know, but I know I've seen it before and I know it's coming when we break through that and they're going to go, Oh, now this starts to make sense. Something like like the assumptions that I already had about the world are now defensible because I've we we've taken sort of human wisdom and and divine wisdom and shown how those two things go hand in hand because we, reason was given to us by God.
2: It's all divinely.
3: Mm-hmm. And we know things. I mean, Plato talked about this. I I love this. this is I mean the other day. We were talking about how the good, Plato's idea of the good is, is the author of our ability to know, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so I mean, yeah, we talk about that God created us in His image and likeness, and that means that He gave us reason. It's it's the same idea, and and it's it's just it's wonderful for the students to struggle through that. and I'm writing an article for our ne- next issue of the Classical
1: Teacher Magazine about this this very thing. The the how Athens and Jerusalem are working together here, and you used a word in your description, harmony. Mm. You know, there's a, there's the dissonance view, which is Tertullians, you know, what hath Athens to do with Jerusalem? Um, there's the melodic view, you could call it, where they're, they're very closely tied together. They're just two sides of the same coin. Just, and then there's the harmonic view, because harmony is two different voices, two different keys, but they go together. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> this was the view of Leo Strauss and uh, Jeffrey Hart, um, and that's that's that they they are there are some struggles between those two things. There's a tension between mm-hmm. those two things, and it's that tension that we always have to deal with. You know, that's that's coming from God's direct, direct revelation and are being made in the image of God, and yet we're human beings, mm-hmm. and so there's that mm-hmm. there's always going to be that tension there, and that's good because it's the energy that drives Western civilization. Mm-hmm.
0: I think you guys are both speaking on kind of a higher level view and a lot of the people from the circles I come from and the circles I'm going to Mm -hmm. kind of see the educational choice, especially really committed Christians. They see the choice as between um, homeschooling slash parochial school and public school as a decision that has pros and cons, but on the one side, it's that it may be a protected environment where they're able to be trained. And in the other situation, it's one where they're going to take more ownership of what they believe because they're forced to, to form an identity of themselves. And that kind of fallacy of the excluded middle sees education as something where the actual content never even really gets examined because Mm -hmm. people are so concerned about how is this forming or shaping my student? Whereas classical education, it seems to marry all of those things into one where we're, forming our students, helping them to take ownership of what they believe, but then also paying attention to what they're actually learning, kind of what you talked about with truth, mm-hmm. goodness, and beauty. Do you have, you guys interacted with that viewpoint at all? It seems some of it may just be my tradition that I come from that kind of frames it that way. But.
3: No, I, I think that's, that's common. I think, you know, um, the, the impulse that we want our students to only be or our children to only be, um, exposed to certain things at certain times. Right. I mean, uh, but that's where I think the classical education model is, is cognizant of that, but also saying that we, we need, so we need to do it in age appropriate ways, but eventually like we're training them to be adults. Mm. You know, we're not, we're not training them to be children their whole lives. We're not trying to keep them away from everything forever. And so, you i mean the the very fact that we're willing to engage in ideas that are as Martin put like there's this tension, right i mean in in the class I'm teaching, we're going to read on the, on the nature of the gods. I mean, it's the pagan's question about, is God spherical? is God look like a man? You know like <laughs> there's these odd questions that we struggle with that uh, but you know it's it's introducing an otherness and struggling with that genuinely. And so we're 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 not afraid to actually engage with those because we we have a reason for what we believe.
1: Well, the literature of the older church, and that would include the New Testament, is an answer to certain questions. Now, if you are investigating something and all you know are the answers to questions, but you don't know what the questions are, mm-hmm. then you're not going to understand it as well. You, the the New Testament is an answer to a lot of questions, and these are people living in a pagan world. Um, and, uh, and so the, what the, what, if you don't know what the pagan world is that they're responding to, it's hard to understand what they're saying.
2: That reminds me <clears throat> of when you were teaching Nick logic in, he was in the seventh grade mm-hmm. and I happened to walk by your classroom and I noticed you were up there just talking away and on the board, it said reasons why God does not exist. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> And I walked on by, and then I thought, wait a minute. (laughs) Did that say reasons why God does not exist? And I backed myself up, and that is exactly what you were doing. He was really making them think about reasons that people could give why God doesn't exist and learn how to defend their own belief in God within a classroom academic setting. Mm. And it was... I didn't hang around long because I can never stand to <laughs> be in a classroom with him long. It's a little chaotic. Sure. But, um, but it was very reassuring to me. And exactly what I wanted for my children mm-hmm. was to be able to defend the existence of God and to, to understand it and to believe it. And to, and, but also to understand that there, you do have to consider the other side of the, the coin. Are there good reasons that people can give that God doesn't exist. And then can you defend those?
1: Because they're going to go out and they're going to encounter those Mm -hmm. arguments. And if they've never dealt with them, they're going to seem really
3: strong. I mean, it's just
2: a great way to really build their faith.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean the fundamental question we're asking, right? Like does this classical education participate in the mission of the church, Um, the church today has very limited time, you know, in, insofar as trying to educate the children and the church is, is, is I mean, there's, you could make a distinction between evangelization, right? Sort of a, a, a turning of the soul and catechesis, which is a, which is an understanding of, of, you know, what we're doing. And classical education it, in, in our model is, is really like we're, we, we really support the church in that, that mission of catechesis, of, of teaching what it is. The culture is helping evangelize them, but we're not, but, but we also recognize that we're working together with the church and the church's you know, maybe proper role. Um, if, if we're helping support it through catechesis is that evangelization part. Um, but I mean, you think about it, whether, y- you know, those kids get one or two hours a week in instruction in church, you know then, but at school, they're there
2: every day it's an four academic or five days a week, academic. Right?
3: and so we can really, really support not only in 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 the the times where we're studying the Bible explicitly or studying the history of the church explicitly, but when we're studying um literature and and what it means to be human and and the history and seeing how man you know the choices man makes and what those ramifications are, and all of that can can feed. The, the desire of the church to educate. It's a really basic point, um, especially for you you guys who have been thinking
0: about education your whole lives. But for some people, you know, when the psalmist says that everything is the Lord's, you know, it's like if you get, you know, use the word term catechized, sometimes you hear people talk about discipleship, formation, mm-hmm. catechesis. If you get our cate- catechized in a way that says this stuff is the Lord's, everything else is other people's, then you're you're not doing classical education. Because in That's classical right. education, we're saying it's big T truth in science, literature, and Everything. we can make those connections. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Everything's divinely touched, right. inspired,
0: even the pagans. No. Yeah. So let me end on this. Let, let's say hypothetically, someone among our members was going out and they were going to start a school out of their church. <laughs> hypothetically <laughs> speaking. Five, six years down the road. What advice would he give him or her as they started this endeavor and how could they make the most effective classical Christian school possible in rural Door County, Wisconsin?
2: Uh, I think the, the number one mistake that people make and I'm you, I don't know anything you don't already know (laughs) having been in your role, but I'm just going to say this publicly that the biggest mistake people make is not, is the people who had the vision for starting a school don't necessarily pay good attention to the financial business side of running a school. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's got to be self-sustaining. You've got a responsibility to pay your teachers. You've got a responsibility to your parents that, that it will sustain throughout their children's education. And so I think the biggest thing is to find somebody who's not the school visionary to take care of that practical thing and to, um, be able to say, "Hey, I know you want students, but we have to pay mm. our teachers. Yeah. so we we have a tendency to make the tuition too low because we want we need students so badly to mm. sustain our school. So that's my that's always my number one because we're generally talking to the visionaries, the, the people. Ones, yeah. Yes, we're talking to the Cheryl Lowes, but Cheryl Lowe needed a Brian Lowe mm. <laughs> to run the business side of things for her. So she could make her vision happen. Right. Hmm.
3: I think in this hypothetical scenario, said person who's moving to said county would, it, it's a new place, right? And so the, the school is by definition a community. Hmm. And so if you're looking three, four, five, six years down the road, you, what you need to build initially is a community. Mm-hmm. And find those like-minded individuals because I mean, so many mm-hmm. schools have been started up by somebody you know who is homeschooling that turned to you know their four, five, six, seven families that they knew that were all like-minded and said, you know what, I I I, I could start teaching, you know, and we could start something. Mm-hmm. And and then it, you know, it's arising out of a out of an already established culture where you already know the families, you already know the the you know you you share in this in this vision of what we want for our children.
2: And you've got a a support network, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what we were doing in England, is building support networks between local people Mm. who just needed to find each other so that they do have the support that they need to do what they need to do. I think that's a really great point. And
1: then once you've got the school established, I think that, and this is one of the things that Cheryl did, you need to constantly be Communicating to your parents and prospective parents and teachers. And teachers. And and teachers. Yeah, sorry. And teachers what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. Amen. Cheryl would have these coffees uh, and have invite parents from the school constantly re articulating Mm -hmm. what classical education was and how we did it and why we did it that way. And you've got over and over again.
2: We would the staff would come together, you would have Mm -hmm. um articles that we would discuss mm-hmm. just yes. after school yes. one day a month or something yes um, this is this is supposed to be goodbye to you, but I do have a Martin story.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> um, in connection with that.
0: No better way to celebrate so, me
2: than to roast Martin. <laughs> you know those big what do you call those big things that you get coffee in from like like our local um, Heine brothers. So mine
3: but that's from a craft but
2: that's not what it, it's not what it's a, called? it's
3: a cardboard box yes. thing with oh, a ladder
2: right. in it. Yeah. So so Martin <laughs> <laughs> decides it's not hot enough so he so this is like at one of our article meetings is getting ready to start it's after school carpool is finishing up and he puts the thing in the micro, <laughs> in the microwave well that didn't work apparently you're not supposed to microwave it so it comes out and it is like there is coffee pouring out of the thing and he's trying to get it to the bathroom i mean this is crescent hill and so the you know those white and black tile floors and all the way there's this trail of coffee as he hauls the thing down to the bathroom sink
1: and then i put it in the sink and i look at the top and it says do not microwave
2: (laughs) but we did have a nice discussion after that and I'm sure I learned a lot.
0: <laughs> I always wondered why they put those, you know, warnings on things. Yes. I know. <laughs> <Sometimes, obviously. Yeah. laughs> well, well, it's some great advice and I, I appreciate it. It could come in handy. Hypothetically speaking. It better come in handy. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> this has been fun. It's been a good
1: ride. Well, I just, I just have one thing. Yes, Martin. Martin. Um, enjoy your socks.
2: Thank you. <laughs> We're going to miss you desperately. Mm,
1: I will miss you all too. Mm-hmm. Thanks for
0: listening. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com.
3: To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.